0: Hi, my name is Mark Williman, the host of Supervisory Basics, a 12 episode podcast series that examines how individual contributors can transition to effective leaders. This podcast series is based on the popular Supervisory Basics training program from Impact Achievement Group, a training and performance management consulting company. The Supervisory Basics training program consists of 12 individual yet linked two hour training modules delivered in leader-led or e-learning formats. For more information, go to impactachievement.com, where you can also download lots of great articles on the topics we discuss in this podcast series. This is episode 12, the final episode in our 12-part series, and the topic is initiative, personal responsibility, and delegation. To discuss today's topic, it is my pleasure to welcome back Rick Tate, Senior Managing Partner at Impact Achievement Group and an internationally recognized expert on management, leadership development, and customer loyalty. Welcome back, Rick.
1: Thanks, Mark. Good to be here again.
0: Rick, would you explain why effective delegation is critical to a manager doing his or her job well?
1: I think there are multiple reasons for that, Mark. If you know, if we go back in time to the concept of delegation and how it appeared on the scene... Uh, it, it happened at, at a time in which uh, uh, years ago, managers uh, started to take on in large organizations a lot of administrative responsibilities and uh, and other tasks that actually competed for time with, uh, uh, with their responsibilities for actually leading and managing people. And so it, it, the genesis was it was a time management uh, practice that that uh, managers uh, got into to give them uh, a better use and effectiveness of the the time during the day. Um, Over the years, it's certainly expanded from that. I think the time management issue is certainly important, the ability to distribute tasks and assignments that may fall into the manager's bailiwick uh, to direct reports to uh, be more efficient. But I think more than that, today, it's also uh, a developmental tool. Uh, you know delegating uh, strategically and tactically assignments and responsibilities that develop bench strength and the part of direct reports that uh, that can assist people in their own career, getting experience doing things uh, that would be normally the responsibility at the next level uh, involving direct reports more in a wider variety of responsibilities and, and decisions to a certain extent. That helps create uh, more personal responsibility for the overall job of the department, division, or group, and also uh, increasing the ownership people have over what's being done as they feel a level of inclusion and participation that can certainly be the result of delegation. Um, I think any time you do those type of things, you're going to uh, uh, affect uh, in a positive way uh, the way you manage and lead people.
0: What does the phrase taking an employee's monkey
1: mean? Uh, You know, this may be, I think, one of the more critical, uh, symbolic, issues that, that leaders and managers can learn. Um, years ago, I happened to meet a fellow named Bill Onken, Jr., in a seminar he was leading. And uh, to be quite frankly, I, I, I was laughing my through, way through it, because if I didn't laugh, I would have cried at the, the problems that he presented that I was experiencing managing people. Uh, Bill, actually, in 1974, wrote Today, which is still one of the best-selling articles, Uh, in the Harvard Business Reprint Series. It's called Managing Management Time, Who's Got the Monkey? And his premise was very simple. His premise was at the end of a conversation between the boss and the direct report, whoever walks away from that conversation, albeit one-on-one or during a meeting, whoever walks away with the next action step has the monkey. So the monkey is truly defined by Bill as uh, who's got the next step. And... uh, over the years, he made uh, a powerful, powerful statement by saying, here's the problem. Managers get caught off guard from employees. Boss, we have a problem. Boss, I need your help. And we seduce ourselves into thinking help is doing the work for others. Others should be doing themselves. So we answer their questions rather than challenging uh, them with questions of our own so they can seek out the answers. Uh, we do work and step in when we might want to let them handle it and learn something from it. Uh, we abuse the old proverb of we, we, we fish for them rather than teach them how to fish. And the downside of that is when we take employees' monkeys, that is, actions that truly belong to them, that they should be doing, learning from, uh, and is in their area of responsibility, we don't do them a service, we don't do ourselves a service, and we don't do the organization a service.
0: What is the performance level scale and can you discuss the three elements critical in determining how much responsibility to delegate to employees?
1: Yeah, that we created that. That came about several years ago when people in sessions were telling us I'd like to be able to delegate, but I don't have enough top performers or any top performers that can handle it it was kind of the they can't handle it yet question, and you know to some degree, I see that as a as a cop out, but then I also understand uh and yet you know our experience and i I know mine personally managing people there were times when uh when I didn't have any choice just because of the re- demands and requirements of the job that uh, had to delegate to people who maybe not maybe weren't totally ready for that level of responsibility or authority yet, and yet I had no other choice if things were going to get done, so they had to learn along the way. Uh, we just created the performance level scale to talk about, you know, at what what type of delegation can I use with people who might not have the total skill sets yet uh, that would allow them to run with the ball. And uh, the performance levels were, uh, were uh, scales were simply this, and that is Uh, At level one, you have a person whose ability and experience for that responsibility may be low, and their confidence and or commitment might be low. And under those circumstances, I can delegate, but the delegation is really uh, let them have the ball, but they have to advise, then act. So before they act, they have to bring me into the loop so I can respond back to make sure we're going in the right direction. At level two, that's that's the individual employee who has a moderate amount of ability and experience, confidence, and or commitment for this task that I'm delegating. And then we just turn it around. They act and then advise. So we set the parameters of effective delegation, what needs to be done, the check-in points. They're allowed to act, but they have to advise immediately so we can do course correction if necessary, and the manager can be confident that they're in the loop and nothing will be caught by surprise. And then you have what is typically the normal delegation routine, and that is the person that can handle it, is ready for it, and, uh, and actually wants wants to t- t- tackle that assignment. And, uh, and the type of delegation for level three is act, act on your own, uh, run with the ball, you have the autonomy, And keep me in the loop now and then and and take the initiative that you will decide when I need to be in the loop and we move forward in that area. So that gives me a little bit more variety in that I can delegate uh, effectively under a wider variety of situations than just having to delegate to people who are, let's say, the superstars.
0: Sure. So what tasks should a manager never delegate and which ones are okay to delegate?
1: Um, The never delegate kind of falls into the the purview of the manager and given the nature of the of, of the job itself but generally speaking what do we advise staying away from there in in every person's jobs there are critical personal job responsibilities that at the end of the day shouldn't be delegated the things that 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 are really going to be the high leverage points for consequences uh, that, that that I have to endure should it not be uh, correct. And so those critical personal job responsibilities that usually have to do with certain decisions and things like that, I, I might want to keep to myself. Also, we advise, if you're going to delegate, don't make a habit of delegating only unpleasant duties or tasks that you, the manager or supervisor, don't like doing. Then if you do that, you'll just get the perception of dumping. <laughs> And uh, I think that'll hurt the relationship. And then the other one we, we say don't delegate are other workers' duties who aren't performing their job well to the good workers who do it. All we do is overload and burden our good workers and give a free pass to the workers who aren't getting their job done. So those are the three areas uh, that we kind of say uh, stay away from. Contrasted to that, what are some things that uh, make, make sense delegating? Uh, routine tasks and assignments that cripple your time, when those can be effectively delegated to other people without imposing a burden on them, not getting their job done, it allows them to learn a little bit. And even if even if it's not a learning thing, it allows us to to leverage and and more strategically deal with with management time. Second area is tasks and assignments that help develop the direct reports and allow them to move up in the organization. Things that uh, direct reports could learn from, find challenging. Uh, make them more career competitive for job assignments that they uh, uh, that they want to have um, those things I think uh, can be effectively used uh, for those uh, for those uh, direct reports that uh, that whose performance earned the right for uh, for moving up in the organization and then the third one is. And, and this one's often underlooked, but, uh, but it's, I think it works really well when I've seen it. Tasks and assignments that will provide the manager or supervisor with more cross-training of direct reports. Um, the, the, the more I can delegate work. And therefore, have everybody on my staff be somewhat capable and competent of a wider variety of issues that come our way. The more I can deal with people being absent one day on vacation issues, I'll, I'll, I'll just have a lot more coverage in the in, in the different areas than just people who only know the things in their specific job area.
0: Sure. Regarding work assignments, what does being equitable in the assigning of additional work or responsibilities mean? And what are the usual traps managers find themselves falling into when assigning more work to
1: employees? In our mind, Mark, equitable has to do with with just fairness and common sense. Um, so let me talk about a temptation here. Oh, and I, and in and, and interviews with managers over the years, there's a couple temptations that I think cause cause difficulties. One is. The temptation to assign less desirable work, the things that people don't want to do to just the poor or marginal employees, um, that, that, that can be seen, I, I think, as a punishing and, uh, and in some ways uh, uh, discriminatory in certain ways. The other temptation is assigning enjoyable work and challenging and fun work to only the good performers. Uh, again, that we we've seen both of those cause HR difficulties and tension among coworkers and and, and issues of favoritism, and 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 it, in many ways the direct reports don't perceive that in that term we call equitable. Um, another one we've seen too, just on the side, is assigning extra assignments and tasks to high performers and avoiding the marginal performers. Or average performers, and that is if I got something that needs to be done, I only go to my good workers to get it done, which means that I overburden them and give a pass to the others. So the, my top performers are feeling I'm punished for doing good work. I do such good work, I get all the extra stuff. This person here I'm working with only is average, so they get nothing, and and, and that always uh, uh, backfires on us to a great degree. So I think, I think that's what we call by, by equitable. The other part of your question, what are some traps? The traps that we find in assigning work is that a manager or supervisor who is who blows with the wind too easily in the area of employee excuses. Uh, so, for instance, what are some of the uh, the, the trap excuses? I, I go to delegate, and my direct report says, wait a minute, somebody, someone else usually does that job. Another excuse is, well, no one's taught me how to do it yet. Another one is find someone else who's not busy. I'm busy, and and another one we see that's common is, well, if I do that, I'll have to put off some other things that I'm doing. Um, everyone can have excuses, and the difference is the manager ensuring that they get enough data about their people, about what they're doing, about workloads, about responsibilities, and staying on top of it enough so that, so that when they do have to assign work, they know the difference between – the validity of a reason why it can't be taken on by an individual yet versus just avoiding it so a person doesn't have to do more work.
0: Rick, one final question today on a related topic, which is overtime. Regarding overtime, what are some common mistakes to avoid when assigning overtime?
1: Yeah, and and for those supervisors and managers who have overtime as part of their uh, responsibilities, uh, We've found that employees have differing points of view regarding overtime. Uh, some desire doing it, some don't, and, and everything in between. And the reasons for wanting it and not wanting it, you know, are, are very are very numerous. Um, you know, a good situation is where you have enough people who work for you who can fill the overtime requirements without imposing it on those who don't. Uh, that would be a perfect world. However, when overtime demand requires that you juggle and balance the schedule, you know, some, guidelines, some guidelines will help. Uh, using a rotation is a good and fair way uh, to ensure fairness. Uh, have, have it on a rotational basis. And then don't rotate for the sole purpose of rotation if you have plenty of people that fill the needs. Uh, therefore, you don't have to burden the ones that don't with, with re- forcing them to work overtime. Uh, we also advise keeping a provision that allows for workers to fill in for each other as long as you're in the loop and kept in form and the coverage is adequate. So if I assign an overtime situation and somebody can't do it, but there's an equal co-worker that can fill in that wants to, uh, the flexibility of that, uh, I think it the work go a little bit better in the eyes of the direct reports. And then also, don't allow overtime unless the appropriate amount of work is being done during regular hours. Uh, so often, people will ask for overtime or overtime will happen because people aren't getting enough done during the day. It, it, the work is being unmanaged or people are working slower because they want the overtime, because they want the extra money um you know, a, man, a manager supervisor should really be on top of the situation to know how much should we be getting done, and therefore, is overtime just filling the needs of an employee's pocketbook, or, or does the overtime give us a good ROI in terms of what the organization gets out of it in terms of delivering products and service to customers? Uh, those are some of the guidelines we think are important.
0: Excellent. Rick, as always, thanks so much for sharing your insights. For more information on this topic, Impact Achievement Group, or the Supervisory Basics series, please visit impactachievement.com. And remember, all of our podcast episodes are available for download on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store and search for Supervisory Basics Podcast and subscribe to the free series.